Hello and welcome to Elmtown. It's your old friend Kevin here, and we're here today to talk about Kite, an application written entirely in Elm to play with graphs. But before we get into that, let's talk about our sponsors. As always, I'd like to thank Ellie at ellie-app.com. This is the tool that we all use in the Elm community to send executable pieces of Elm to each other. It's like the scratch pad for Elm, and it's a great tool for learning if you're just getting started with Elm. We also want to thank CultureAmp, my employer. They are paying for my time right now. So thank you very much, CultureAmp, for giving this podcast a host. You can visit cultureamp.com slash jobs if you're interested in finding out about joining our team in Melbourne, Australia. We make a web application that companies use to better understand their employees, what they're thinking and feeling, and using that information to make their workplace better. Last of all, I want to thank Joel Claremont. He's our recording sponsor. He pays every month for us to have a tool to record this podcast with. You can find him on Twitter at jclaremont. I think he is definitely open to new friends, so you should reach out to him. He's also the organizer of the Milwaukee Functional Programming Meetup and the Milwaukee PHP Meetup. So if you're anywhere near Milwaukee, you should definitely get to know this guy. Finally, last but not least, I want to thank Xavier Ho for editing every episode of this podcast. He makes us sound great by editing out all the little mistakes you don't get to hear. Welcome to the show, Arkel Selman. Hi, thanks for having me. I first saw your post on the Elm Discourse several months ago when you posted about Kite, and you have since made a lot of changes to this app as well. But I think the, the first thing that struck me when I saw this app was just how much of a complete user interface you had built in the browser. When you announced this, you said this project was not new. It had been around for a while. And uh, that's certainly the impression it gave me is that you had spent quite a bit of time building quite a polished thing here. Can you tell me where this project came from and how you got started? Yeah, I'm working with logic and graphs. So we draw a lot of graphs every day to tell each other what we are talking about. We don't write um, as if the mathematical papers are published, they look a lot of text, but uh, the communication is more like with pictures. So we, we need to draw graphs a lot. So I needed a tool to manipulate graphs, to draw graphs, to play with them, to make quick step-by-step -step presentations of uh, how algorithms run on graphs, etc. And there was no such tool. There were tools that do some of the stuff, but they didn't combine all of them. Five years ago, I started to, with JavaScript because I wanted it to work on the browser. I started to do small experiments. So it got bigger and bigger. And I really didn't have any idea how to make user interfaces, graphical user interfaces. So <laughs> join the club. I think we're all figuring it out together. And so I was rewriting all the time. And it got bigger and bigger with JavaScript. And at some point, the pain uh, got also big. If I want to change something, other things broke. And because also I didn't have any experience in programming. I studied mathematics and I didn't know even the word uh, programmer discipline. So <laughs> I, I didn't know the design patterns. I didn't know, I didn't know how to design software. <laughs> I just did it on my own, alone at home, by <laughs> writing JavaScript in my way. And, and everything uh, went 
kind of well. I used D3 of Mike Bostock, the, this visualization library, to make the force layout. And I liked a lot how the graphs are easily bouncing around, moving. And I have much more the feeling, oh, I am fast here drawing graphs and it looks nice, etc. So it came to a point that I couldn't work on the project anymore because of my uh, not having experience in JavaScript. We, we learned Haskell in the university. They showed us in a semester, just basic Haskell, not uh, complicated. But for me, it was more understandable because it was nearer to the language that we write mathematics, declarative. So in JavaScript, I had always the confusion like, okay, this variable was two, but now it's <laughs> changed. So, so for me, it's not intuitive. Maybe for programmers, the imperative way is more intuitive. But for mathematicians, the declarative way is more easy to follow. So is that how you describe yourself? Are you a mathematician first? Yes, I studied mathematics. Then I started a PhD in theoretical computer science. And these days you work at a university? Now I don't work anymore. I am looking for a job. <laughs> I am in the phase of finishing my PhD, hopefully. <laughs> so obviously your PhD must have had something to do with graphs. Yeah, a lot, a lot. <laughs> Graph theory in general is like a term that I've heard. Like I did an engineering degree and I feel like at different times in my study, someone said, well, this, this is a deep area of study. It's called graph theory, but we don't have time to go into it right now. I guess I understood graph theory to the extent that it has to do with nodes uh, that you call vertices and lines between them that you call edges. And that's about it. For people like me who don't really understand that area of study, what is the purpose of this sort of field of study? What interesting problems were you exploring that a visualization tool like this could help with? Actually, you described graphs very well. <laughs> Vertices are like these points, and the edges are links that connect between them. They can be directed. Think of it as with an arrow or undirected. Graphs are, I think the English word for, for, for this is ubiquitous. Uh, they are everywhere. So many things can be modeled as graphs, like, for example, social networks. It can be directed. For example, the ancestor relation. You can draw like a trees are graphs. M many kind of combinatorial problems, even in daily life, like scheduling problems, matching problems. There are many optimization problems on like the traffic, finding shortest path to from some point to another point. Internet can be modeled as a graph. The hyperlinks are the edges and the websites are the vertices. I feel like I've seen a lot of tools that will generate like a static graph from, you know, a directory tree or something like that, or a social network, as you mentioned. But I, I guess what this tool brings is the ability to sketch these things freehand. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is what I needed. I needed to bring this together free with the force directed, this many body simulation that is uh, makes the graph looks nicer at the same time visualize algorithms at the same time from the I mean lines of code only five percent of the app is there in, in terms of the complete functionality that you want to build exactly so the, the the functionality is now minimum I implemented two things to visualize it's possible that other people if they are interested they write a little bit and can improve it with more algorithms improve it more with more uh, futures. So is it already at the state where you would have found it a useful tool during your work? Yeah, I use it. I use it to draw graphs. If I want to visualize one algorithm now, I can 
implement it in such a way that I can plug it into Kite so I can let people draw the graph and try out the algorithm, visualize step by step. So not everything is there, but if I want to add something now, it's easy to add. So I have the infrastructure, let's say. I study logics and theoretical computer science. Do people think that I am a functional programming guy? But actually, my area is far away from functional programming. So I wrote a message, an email to Google Groups because I found some geometry app that allowed um, uh, to draw circles and lines and see their intersection point. And what I wanted to do was similar to that. And I sent the link and I asked the email group um, if it's possible, whether it's possible to do something like this in Elm. One day I didn't get any answer. And then even answered and said uh, to the other people, as I answered my question in a way that is possible to do in Elm and said to the other people also, uh, look, people, uh, these are the questions that we have to deal with. Mm. Not the deep theoretical questions about the language, how to design the language are also important, but these kind of questions we should answer because these are going to make the language successful if it's, you understand what I mean? <laughs> we want to make people who are curious about Elm because they want to build something with it successful. Exactly. So I, I had the feeling that, oh, okay, the designer of the language goes in the direction that I want. So, you know, like... Mm. Uh, they are not only programming language enthusiasts, but really people. I had the feeling that there are people who try to make the life of other people easier, not only <laughs> uh, making a beautiful programming language, but also like it's useful. I mean, trying to be useful to the other people. So I had a good feeling. It, it was a good start. It was a good first contact. About how long ago was this? I think it was three years ago. Okay, so a few versions of Elm ago. Yeah, and I did also other small things with Elm for my students to interactive visualizations. I think they are called explorable explanation. It's something that is like you can play with the parameters and see how the visually how it changes the whatever you have. I imagine like in a physics lecture, you're trying to explain how something flies through the air. And if you change its mass or you change the wind velocity, you can mess with those parameters and see how the path changes. Exactly. This is a good example. So you picked up Elm to start building this and how, you know, were you immediately successful? Were there things you found challenging getting started? Actually, my experience with Elm was really great, especially after JavaScript. <laughs> For me, the most easy thing is that the Elm architecture, it's such a good restriction to my code that I cannot write bad code. So, I mean, I can write bad code also in Elm, maybe, but not so easy. <laughs> it's everything is organized. I know what is the model lives there. The update function is there. So I can pick up the project. If I didn't look at the project one month and I come back, I can again work on it. For example, something like implementing Anduredu is probably so difficult and takes so much effort and discipline. And Especially if you don't plan for it from the very beginning. Exactly. I mean, this is exactly, this is the point what, what I am like, with the user interface design, I had the same thing. Ideally, probably the people design the user interface, graphical user interface beforehand, before implementing, and mm. some professional makes it. But in my case, I didn't have an idea. I have to rewrite it again and again because I made always decisions that seemed to be better than the old ones. So I changed it. So all the time I was rewriting things and Elm is perfect for it. So this refactoring, changing things. So 
there, there were habits, uh, fears that I learned uh, when I was programming JavaScript, like fear from refactoring, fear from changing things, never change a working system, you know. <laughs> but in Elm, change a working system and it works again. So Yeah. This is something I say to people a lot when they ask me about Elm. The, the, one of the first questions they often ask me is, is it faster to build things in Elm than in JavaScript? And what I normally say is, once you know Elm as well as you know JavaScript, it's about just as fast to build new things. But as soon as you change your mind and start making changes to the thing you built, Elm is so much faster. Speaking of refactoring, one of the things you mentioned in your uh, first announcement about Kite was that you were quite inspired by Evan's talk, The Life of a File. Yeah. I think it was at Elm Europe. Can you tell me how that talk influenced or changed your design? Yeah, I, I stopped feeling bad about my uh, 5,000 lines uh, main file. <laughs> <laughs> this was great. I think that is the core point of that talk is big files are not bad. Yeah, exactly. Because I also had the feeling like this should be modular, this should be separated in different. But at the same time, I don't like to jump from file to file to change something. Everything is in a file. It's easier to change the variable names, etc. And also, there is also the talk of Richard Feldman, make that data structures. Right. You had this code base and you were a little afraid to share it because you felt like, oh, well, obviously it's not well structured. And then Evan's talk came along and said, actually, this is a perfectly valid way to write a program. What I'm hearing is that his talk didn't necessarily change your design as it made you feel okay about sharing your design. Yeah, it's it was a big, big thing for me, this talk. <laughs> <laughs> so some things have changed pretty significantly in your app from when you first announced it to like the current iteration. For me, the biggest thing I read in your announcement was the change from using D3, a JavaScript library external to Elm, to do the the force simulation, I guess you would call it, to like having that entirely built in Elm. Can you talk about that and some of the other changes that uh, you've you've made to Kite since first announcing it? Yeah. Okay. So we are talking about this force-directed graph. This is called many-body simulation. The physicists use it to simulate objects that repel each other, and magnetic fields or gravity or whatever. And it's like an animation in every tick. It's calculated depending on how near the vertices are to each other, in which direction, with which force they should push each other away, and so And the next tick is calculated, etc., etc. Yeah, I can grab one of the circles in my graph and like pull it around and all the other circles try to get out of its way. This is one of the main points that I built this app because it makes it so much easier and much more fun to play with graphs and draw them. I somehow believed that Elm is not appropriate to make a performance somehow because of the lack of my knowledge about functional programming. I, I thought everything, it cannot run so fast. <laughs> I was thinking, uh, and I d decided to use D3 uh, with ports. In every tick, D3 was calculating the new positions of uh, vertices and sending as an array of positions to uh, via through a port to kite. And then all these node positions were applied to the vertices. And again, they were sent to via ports to D3 and the D3 <laughs> calculates the next positions in the next tick. While I was doing it, writing the ports, writing D3, etc., I had the purpose that, okay, it's not going to work fast because sending things there and back, it's 
uh, it's going to take time. But at the end, at least I am going to have the end result. Yeah, start with something that works, then make it work performantly. Uh, even if I, I mean, I didn't believe that it's going to be performant <laughs> this way. It has been, but if I didn't believe, and I was okay with the non not performant version because at the end I also need the end result after the graph, the force is applied like during one second or two seconds. The graph gets in a has a nice drawing, nice embedding. It looks nice. So I was okay with that, and I write the code. And I pushed the button, and everything worked so smooth, even with the <laughs> Well, if you're listening to this uh, and you haven't already gone and seen like the original video demo that that Erkal point posted for the kite, it's worth going to have a look. That's what I remember is all of the feedback on that initial post was, wow, the animations are so smooth. And I think Richard Feldman said, the animations make me smile. And it was all about how wonderful the animations are. It's amazing to hear that that, that initial super slick version came out of an implementation that as you were writing it going, you were going, well, obviously this isn't going to work. Uh, I would have felt the same way. It's funny. It's like, it is interesting to hear that because I feel like a lot of people over the years have asked the question, how do I use D3 with Elm? Or is there an Elm version of D3? People want to use Elm for data visualizations. And the obvious question is, well, D3 is the best thing for data visualizations. So how do I use that with Elm? And often the disappointing answer is, and, and this is a journey that we went through at CultureAmp because we have a lot of data visualizations in our own product. The somewhat disappointing answer to that for us and for many other people, it is not easy to use D3 from Elm. When you try to, the D3 API is designed to work a particular way that is not super immutable, functional programming friendly. And so it's kind of a clash of two worlds. And I know at CultureAmp, when, when we got to that disappointing answer, we took a step back from Elm and said, okay, we're going to build our data visualizations in React with D3 because that seems like the right tool for the job. But um, talking to the engineers who built some of those things at CultureAmp, Sam Margalit, one of our engineers, was telling me, actually, we're just using D3 as this, this thing to send coordinates to, and it calculates the forces and gives us new coordinates. And then we're doing our own rendering in React. And what you describe is exactly that, except you're doing your rendering with Elm. So it, it makes me kind of wonder if we went back and uh, took that same approach, whether we could be using Elm in our data visualizations today. Maybe, but again, I don't think that it's a good idea to communicate with JavaScript. <laughs> <laughs> so it worked, it worked surprisingly well, but you still wouldn't necessarily recommend it. Yeah, exactly. Tell me a bit uh, more about how Elm visualization compares to D3, because I'm not an expert in D3, but one of the things I know about D3 is that it's a non-deterministic simulation. So if you give it a system of nodes and forces between them, if you give it that same system multiple times, you'll get a different animation each time because it, it resolves some of the forces by introducing noise and randomness. And I'm curious if a Elm native version of this has that same sort of noisy randomness to it. As far as I know, in D3s, the force simulation is a small part of D3. Let's make this clear for the, okay. <laughs> the randomness that D3 uses is only at the point when the nodes Two nodes come very very close to each other oh okay right and in that point it makes a jiggle there it's yes it's this jiggle and 
this jiggle makes prevents that uh, this collapses the force force graph because if they are super near to each other then they are going to repel each other a lot because the repelling is proportional to the reverse of the, the square of the distance so it makes it funny just in terms of the character of the animations you were seeing in the product when you swapped when you successfully swapped out d3 for elm visualization was it indistinguishable or did it feel a bit different yeah it, it's kind of indistinguishable, but because also the code uh, the force directors graph is very similar to Mike Bostock's uh, force direct. It's it's kind of a translation of that code. It's it's making the same thing, and it works pretty well. This it has so this for example, there is a small bug in Kite. Also, it exists this bug that if two nodes come on top of each other, it crashes. So this jiggling doesn't exist. I am expecting that they they fix this bug. Well, I've been playing with it for several hours and I have not encountered a crash. So ah, uh, good. <laughs> perfectly useful. So that button that uh, toggles the force uh, simulation on and off, I saw someone remark that they really liked your choice of icon for that. I do not recognize that icon. What is it? It's just Darth Vader. <laughs> oh, it is Darth Vader. Oh, I, okay. That is hilarious. <laughs> I knew it had delighted a lot of people and I was feeling left out of the joke because I didn't recognize it. Now I am delighted. That is amazing. And geometry I used a lot, the package of Jan McKenzie. What does that do? Uh, and geometry is, uh, does, um, it's great. I mean, <laughs> this package is really great. It does everything what you want to do, something to do with geometry. Even in the smallest case, when I need geometry, even if I can do it with uh, simple floats and so, and now I prefer to use this package and geometry because it makes the, my code much more readable. What's an example of a feature that, that requires, like I'm not sure what you mean by geometric calculations. Like uh, you have points and you want to calculate some distance from somewhere to ah. another place or like whatever has to do with the 2D or 3D geometry. It doesn't need to be something complicated like convex hull or intersection of a two squares or something like that even in the simple things i get the mouse position and i don't know even with the mouse dragging there is a great talk of jan mckenzie about this and geometry package in youtube in one of the AM conferences and i also have to say that i learned a lot from how he designed this package the talk is called i think now you are thinking functional and so before you use this library, you had all of your own custom types for, for points and, and vertices and all those sort of things? I didn't have types even. I was making the calculations with floats. Just raw numbers. And so Elm Geometry gave you richer types and functions for working on them conveniently. And also made the code much more readable. Now, if I look at the number, I see if it's a point or it's a vector. And geometry package is going to be updated in a couple of months and it's going to use ALM units. Then you will be able to say local coordinates, global coordinates, or what I use from ALM geometry is like, for, for example, drawing convex hull around vertices. Yeah, I love that feature. I don't know what it is commonly used for, but I find it really satisfying to select a group of nodes in the graph and just say, draw a rounded shape around these. I find those shapes really satisfying to look at. And also I want to make a little bit advertisement for Elm UI. 
<laughs> Although I don't yes. know if it needs advertisement because everybody, I think everybody picked it up. I'm interested to hear it because I have still never used Elm UI. I'm a CSS fan, but uh, even as a CSS fan, I look at these tool palettes that you have down the left and right of your app. And I think, wow, laying that out by hand with CSS would be quite tedious. And um, I assume the reason you love Elm UI is it makes that sort of layout job like it gives you an API specifically designed for doing that. It saves so much time that, that I was really thankful to it. Every minute that I use it, every minute that I change something in there. Because of CSS, I was afraid to change how the design looks. But with Elm UI, again, I can make small changes whenever I want. It gave you a refactorable layout. Matthew Griffith designed the language of laying out things as so intuitive. So you, you don't need to even look at the documentation. I mean, there is space, more or less is visual. And somehow, I mean, after I started to use it, I thought, okay, why, why the people do it otherwise? You know, like it's so natural language for laying out things on a page. It reminds me of, um, Evan often talks about the thing that first inspired him to build Elm was when he tried to center something in a browser window. And he said, why is this not easy? And he ended up inventing a whole programming language to so try and solve this in an elegant way. But I feel like this Elm UI package is, it kind of solves that same problem in that it goes, okay, now that we have an elegant programming language for building interfaces, here's the thing for doing that layout really well. The number of people who I know who are trying to get into JavaScript and then find they are frustrated that they also have to learn CSS, I feel like Elm UI can be a really uh, great tool at that point in your journey in web development when you're like, I just want to build an application. I don't want to learn a style language right now. I might come back to CSS later, but right now I want to focus on my application. This is a tool that lets you do that. For me, I don't want to come back to CSS now. <laughs> <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. Hey, speaking about the web platform, I haven't checked, but I gather that the the canvas, the, the visual appearance of these graphs, it's rendered with SVG, is that right? Yes. Did you have any performance challenges with like keeping an increasingly complex SVG um, graphic updating in real time in the browser window? There are some performance problems. I mean, they can be fixed. For example, if the list of nodes are shown on the left bar uh, in the app, and at the same time, there are many nodes, many vertices that are moving, their coordinates are also updated in the list. The frames per second gets lower, but this can be fixed because the table should, should not be necessarily rendered when the force direct graph is on, you know, like when the force is on, and there are many nodes, and at the same time, there is the list visualized of the vertices on the left side, then I have some performance problems. But otherwise, I didn't have. Oh, I see that. Yeah, so if you don't have the list selected, it is buttery smooth. Yeah. That's amazing. I had not noticed that. I was working with the, uh, the list open on the side because I, I do like seeing all of the parts of my drawing there listed, and I didn't realize that the, that, that was what was having the performance impact. 
if you press the A button, then everything gets clean. So I prefer to work like that with the... Ah, yes. I saw you do that in the video and I wondered what the shortcut for that was. Now, I can't believe uh, we've talked this long and we haven't talked about the new feature that you implemented of importing an Elm project and displaying its dependency graph. Can you talk about what led you to build that? Anything special you had to solve in making that possible? Yeah, I wanted to do something useful for the community. Ah, <laughs> oh, nice. Because I benefit a lot from the things that they do. Maybe I thought, I mean, I wanted to visualize them to see my project's module dependency graph. And I thought, okay, this can be useful also for other people. So I wrote some small thing which talks with the GitHub API. And you write your repo address, click the button, and it draws the module dependency graph. So I hope people uh, found it useful. But at the end, the dependency graph never looks like as you expect. <laughs> you know, like it always <laughs> looks very ugly. <laughs> <laughs> this is also, I thought, a good point of um, the app because you can also then afterwards, after downloading, even if you put it in a very good directed acyclic graph layout algorithm, uh, the thing that you get at the end is not going to be the thing that you want to see. So you would want to manipulate it afterwards a little bit, drag the nodes some. Yes. So this is the second video that you produced for the more recent version of Kite, where you go through the process of importing a dependency graph and then tidying it up so that it is a pleasing thing to look at. I found that a very enjoyable process to watch. <laughs> Thank you. My purpose was like hitting more birds with one stone and like I can show the functionality at the same time how it works. So make a little bit advertisement for the app. At the same time, it's going to be useful because maybe people want to see their module dependency graphs too. Also, you can draw their extra modules, you know, like if you have a plan, you can <laughs> draw it. I have to say, I really want to put some of Cultramp's source code in and see the dependency graphs, but all of our code is in private repos, so I can't import it right now. There is a solution to that. Uh, oh. If it's on GitHub, <laughs> uh, somebody, I don't know the name now, made a pull request. He had the same problem, and uh, this is my first pull request in, of my life, actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> wow, exciting. Yeah, for me, exciting. So I'm going to integrate it. So you are going to be able to also to see the private repos. Can you talk about uh, the gravity, the centers of gravity? Because uh, in all of the drawings I've done, I end up with just one center of gravity. But I noticed when you were talking about the, the graph that gets generated from a dependency graph, there's a separate center of gravity for each kind of row of the graph that gets generated. There is a button, this gravity button. Did you recognize near the force? Yeah, it makes the centers of gravity appear, but I have only... You, if you select nodes beforehand, yes. if you s select some nodes and then go to gravity, yes, and then click somewhere, these selected nodes will have this uh, other gravity center. Oh, you can give them a new center of gravity. Okay, see that? That's a ninja trick. Now I'm very excited by what I can draw. <laughs> the point was... If this force is applied, they collect the vertices to some place. Maybe, I mean, I want to force, but at the same time, I want the nodes, so these nodes there and that no, the, those nodes in other place. But again, I want to force, so to, this, this was necessary for keeping the force and give it a, a little bit shape, you know? This is super cool. 
What's your like? What's left to do here? You said there was only five percent of the the code that you expected would ultimately be needed. What's on the roadmap? What are the big things that you want to add to this in future? There are these buttons on the very left bar of the app, and uh, they actually more or less. This is what I want to do. I want to fill in these um, uh, places. Once the drawing, uh, the drawing is there. Um, this can be extended with uh, different vertex shapes. Uh, for example, if somebody wants to draw a so-called mind map or something like, um, the people can use kites not only for graph theoretical purposes, but also for just drawing graphs. Like, uh, So there can be more drawing options, like the vertices can be rectangular shapes, the uh, labels can be put inside, the edges can be uh, drawn in such a way that have corners. Oh, I think it's called orthogonal drawing and also automatic layout like circle layout or align or make uh, so for example like in vector graphic editors uh, put these vertices there and align them so that they have the di same distance between each other or something mm. uh, random graph generators for people who want to play or make research or something or uh, also generating useful graphs like torus grids there are useful, there are graphs that come up and with parameters you can generate them. I expect that people write their own things. I think that if a mathematics student needs such a tool, it's not going to be so difficult to learn a little bit. And You've written it in a way that you intend to leave spaces for people to contribute exactly, these yeah. kinds of features. Yeah. yeah. For example, there is an algorithm type. This algorithm type makes Visualizing algorithms easy because it's, it's a small type and as soon as you write your algorithm in this algorithm type, then the step-by-step -step visualizations and everything is for free. You just need to write on your algorithm in such a way that it matches this type. And then you write a view function for every state of the algorithm, then everything else is automatic. This was the point actually. So now you can take a book. <laughs> it's actually a project, kind of a project. Yeah of Mind Future Project Line 1 algorithm book and start visualizing all the algorithms in that book, if they are graph algorithms. I feel like you could run a workshop at a conference or a meetup and say, okay, everyone gets an algorithm and at the end of the day, we'll have implementations of all of them in Kite. Yeah, maybe, yeah, it, it, it's possible. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So another thing is querying graphs. Like, for example, you want to find out the vertices, I don't know, which have many neighbors. In a social network, you want to find which people are popular, for example, some analysis of graph. You can see it as a database. Think of any query that you can ask to the database. So visualizing these queries and giving the people the opportunity to write their own queries. There are simple logics from the area, I mean, mathematical logic, mm -hmm. that they can be seen also as step-by-step well, that's amazing. Now, you said towards the beginning that you are actually looking for a job right now. Just looking at Kite, you've already proven to me that you can put together a pretty uh, mean piece of Elm. What sort of work are you looking for? Yeah, I don't want to stay in academia. Uh, I decided. Also, I'm looking for Elm. I was looking for Elm jobs. Now, I think maybe I found one. <laughs> oh, wow. That's exciting. Also, a little bit mathematics. 
a little bit and developing a little bit teaching and uh, sounds perfect people. yeah it sounds really perfect to me but it's not i mean it's not sure <laughs> <laughs> we'll all cross our fingers for you so thank you so much for joining us today arkal and sharing um for myself alone just having spent some time playing with this it was so nice to hear the the kind of director's commentary about how it came together i feel like it's a, a really interesting story and uh, I'm especially interested to hear where your story goes next. Uh, so thank you for sharing with us today, Erkal. Thank you very much for having me. And I forgot to thank you about the Sublime and package. I'm using uh, Sublime text and your package makes my life better. Oh, stop <laughs> it. I'm just a maintainer. I, I will say if anyone is interested in helping out with that, some of the other editor plugins have been doing some amazing work lately. and. Uh, I might just be talking to some of them about coming on the show to talk about it. So if anyone out there is interested in contributing to the Sublime Text Package, I am certainly looking for help on that. So thank you for bringing it up. Thanks again for listening to Elmtown, dear listener. We'll be back with you with another episode soon. And until then, everyone is welcome in Elmtown. Bye.